Robbie here. Welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast, episode five with James Bianco. Um, now, James is a leadership and a career coach. He's the founder of 16 Degrees Coaching. Um, and before that, he's done all kinds of interesting things in his career, only some of which we touch on in this interview. Um, he's worked at the Grameen Bank in Bangladesh. He ran a student's union. He set up a social enterprise uh, to employ homeless people. What we speak about more is that he spent 11 years working for the UK Department for International Development, working with the senior teams and with ministers, um, until he really had a desire to see more closely the positive impact of his work, and that led him in the end to discovering coaching. And he hasn't looked back since. Um, he clocked up over 2,000 hours of coaching in the first four years of his practice, which is a lot. Uh, it's w way more than I have. Uh, and it must be even more now because he's five, five plus years in. And that includes some really interesting work like running career change group coaching for sometimes upwards of 100 people at once. Uh, and we get into some of the lessons he learned from that across the interview. We also talk about how learning the craft of coaching works um, and how for James, trying hard to become a great coach doesn't in fact lead to becoming a great coach. We talk about the, the power of stories and James tells a great story about how the story he had about, that's a lot of the word story, the story he had about successful coaches that they only work on recommendations that first empowered him to create a thriving business, but then made him doubt himself. And he had to think about that simple story and write something new. We also, James is really good on, on that piece, on recommendations and referrals. And he talks about how he used his network to create opportunities, not just when he started out, but also more recently to get him out of a, a tough period in his business. And he talks about the importance of dispelling the myths we have about our networks. One of my favorite bits in the, in the interview is when James, I asked James what he did to fill, what he used the time for when he first left Diffid um, to be coaching full time. And he gives a beautiful but surprising answer to that question, which I think gets to the point of something really important about building a coaching business and the opportunities that it provides. Um, listen out too for, um, I love the, I love this interview, James, you could just really hear him thinking, really taking his time over the answers to questions. And I just loved listening back to that beautiful silence as he thinks at times. And I also think there's something really interesting about James, which is I don't think he quite knows how good he is and how impressive the, the many achievements that he's done are. But, but as the listener, what that does is it means he, his humility really opens up the learning he's done and is doing. So I hope you enjoy that as much as, um, as, much as I did. Um, before we dive in, just a little quick reminder that registration's currently open for the Coach's Journey group coaching program. So that's a program that I run for up to five coaches each year um, to really focus on growing their business and their impact with clients. The first thing you can do if you're curious is to sign up at thecoachesjourney.com for a, a chance to experience group coaching with me and see if that's the right thing to help you take your business and practice to a new level in, in 2020. Um, but that's enough housekeeping. Can't wait to introduce you to James Bianca. James, uh, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. It's really fun to have you here because you've been kind of in and around, to use a, a football commentary cliche, my coaching journey since the beginning because you were uh, one of the big boys at the coaching school being one of the people in the year above me. And therefore at that point, it felt like you were impossibly, you know, advanced in your coaching. 
and of course what happens over time is that 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 year's difference or whatever it was means less um and it's been really fun you know we speak quite regularly now but as part of this as part of this podcast it was important to me to have people on who were you know it's it's easy to just interview people who are kind of at the end of their journey in some ways where they're thinking yeah i've been doing this for 15 years for 10 years i've i've learned everything i'm very mm. much much uh, done in some ways or moving on to another level but for people like you and i it, well, at least i feel like this i'm kind of still right in the middle of it and i'm i'm really curious to see i know a little bit about that that's kind of what it feels like for you sometimes and i'm really curious to see what we'll speak about today but yeah just thanks for the time and welcome to the show uh, it's so funny you should say that, Robbie, just because um, you say you're in the middle of your journey and I still profoundly think of myself at the beginning of my coaching journey. So. Yeah, well, maybe, um, I guess it's interesting. Like, here's a, here's a thing. Here's me, me answering questions on my podcast before I've even asked you any. But there's something about, there's this great thing that my brother told me about um, a year or two ago when I was feeling really stressed out about coaching. Mm. Business It's probably the lowest, biggest struggle that I've been in. And he said he'd heard someone on a podcast and I asked him again recently to try and work out uh, what it was. He thinks it was a Tim Ferriss show, but he doesn't know who the person being interviewed was. If anyone listens and knows, please tell me because I'd love to um, be able to actually credit them for this story. But basically that we need three groups of people around us on our journey. We need people ahead of us so we can aspire to those things. We need people who are alongside of us so that we... Um, have other people who know what we're going through and then we actually need to spend some time with people behind us on the journey to remember that we've made a load of progress and we're not at the beginning anymore and I guess maybe because it's one of the gifts of some of the work that I do with coaches who are often er often earlier in the journey than than me that it reminds me that I'm no longer mm. right at the beginning even though in, in the grand scheme of things if we might be doing this for another 20 or 30 years then of course it's still the beginning phase but it's, I think there's an advantage in being reminded of, of yeah, I think the way I was defining beginning is I still see the not so much in the beginning of my career as a coach, but the beginning of my learning about how to be a great coach. Because even like five years in, and one of the things that drew me into coaching was there's never going to be an endpoint about what you can learn, about how present you can be with your clients, about like forming the best question. Um, about learning about new methodologies and new approaches. And so by the beginning, I mean, there's still so much out there for me to learn. And I think I may still feel quite at the beginning of my journey when I, if I'm still coaching at 70, will still feel like there's still a distance to travel. And that's one of the things that really attracted me to coaching was it was something I thought I'd be able to travel with and it could feel fresh for a very long time. So um, I might not think of myself completely at the beginning of my experience running a business, but I do think of myself at the beginning of this, <laughs> like ju the journey, the learning journey. And I, if you should want to interview me in five years time, I wouldn't be that surprised if I still use the same uh, terminology. <laughs> let's, let's put that in a diary. Um, <laughs> well, James, I mean, we might get into that. We might get into this now you know, this, this shift, because that, that definitely what you've just said was really true for me as well. I, I was like getting a bit bored in the work that I was doing in different ways or not finding my, not thinking that in the future it would still be fresh essentially. Mm. And that's one of the things that attracted me to coaching in lots of ways as, as well. But I'm curious, 
if you take us back to not the beginning of your life, but the like, when did you first come across coaching? Um, so I, I'll start by saying I first came across mentoring. So I was asked to be a mentor. So I joined the Department for International Development probably t- uh, 2004 five something like that and um i went in at a relatively senior grade for my age um and i had a wonderful manager who i am still in contact with now and from the get-go she was she was on a program called the crossing thresholds program which was a program to encourage um women and people with sort of bme backgrounds to you know, cross the glass ceiling within the civil service. And she asked me from, I think, within sort of two months whether I'd be interested in being a mentor on the programme. And that's where that journey for me started, if I think back then. And it was, um, firstly, um, several things came out of that experience for me. One was um, how much I enjoyed that one-on-one work with individuals, like stepping out of my day job and spending an hour with them, working through with them about like where do they want to go, where do they feel stuck, what are their options. And with all things, I don't know what your experience is with these things, but when you get into these, this corporate space sometimes, all I received on how to be a good mentor was like a two-side sheet of A4 paper. Oh, you're a mentor. Congratulations. Here's two sides on how to be a good mentor. Do you remember what it said? Was, were the two sides useful? Well, I, I can't really remember that. I really can't remember it, but I just remember being sort of shocked at how skimpy the amount of information was available for me to sort of and that started my exploration of that journey was how how can you be a good mentor like what did I find online around being a good mentor and that slowly increased my awareness and brought me to coaching um and and I had the chance to work with um a coach from my office but also I got to this point where I was not um getting as much out of my job as I was hoping to get out of I wasn't enjoying the role as much as I wanted to and I um also then used privately sort of brought employed a coach to work alongside me went to think through like what the next chapter was going to look like and um I was like yeah I think I've been doing this for quite a long time but without sort of formally naming it as coaching and that was sort of the beginning of, of how I got into to coaching yeah, that's really interesting. And there's kind of a few threads I'm, I'm curious about there. Just just for a bit of context, though, for people who don't know you, what work were you doing in the Department for International Development? And, and why was it that you had come in at a reasonably high grade uh, for your age? What had you been doing before? Just yeah. So I had, um, I'd already managed to get a reasonable level of experience working internationally. So I spent... Um, over a year working in Bangladesh and I got to work in the Grameen Bank, which is this amazing microcredit institution that gives small loans to women and um, impoverished women who don't have any collateral and uses a sort of group process to um, ensure that um, they repay their loans effectively. You only invite people into the group that you trust who are going to repay their, their loans. So there's this accountability, this group accountability that means you're going to repay their loans. So I got to work there and learned a lot about working in those kind of environments. And then I was lucky enough to um, get onto what's called the Overseas Development Institute Fellowship Program, 
and I was posted out as a young economist to work in the Tanzanian Ministry of Finance. So I then worked um, as a Tanzanian civil servant in the Ministry of Finance for two years, working on like mining tax regimes and trying to build an oil sort of a sort of oil or natural resource fund. Um, and after that, I started working for Irish Aid. And in Irish Aid, which is a much smaller, it's now got a different name, but it was a much smaller aid organisation than DFID, which meant that I was able to go in at a sort of more senior grade in Irish Aid. So I was no more skilled than anyone around me. They just had fewer economists who'd worked in that space, which meant I was able to influence more readily. And, you know, I met with, uh, at that time, the sort of president of Ireland and uh, was able to get involved with sort of doing really high-level briefings, which meant that when I went across to... Or, you know, when I put in my application to work in DFID, I had quite a, a nice, um, I don't know, portfolio of things I could show them that I did that seemed to be at a grade that was relatively senior. Um, so that's kind of why. I don't even know if I've answered your question anymore. Oh, that's yeah, you, why you... I ended. That's why I ended up going in at a relatively senior grade. Yeah, you absolutely have. And also, yeah, there's an e- economics background in there as well, right, is one of the things you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you did the mentoring and you kind of came across, how do I learn to be a better mentor? And there were these two coaches you mentioned already. So they were, they both like there was one in, in Diffid that was assigned to you and then you sort one out else elsewhere. So one, as well, or one how did that Diffid, work? So one was in Diffid who wasn't assigned to me, but I used to sort of use his time. Uh, uh, find him, take him for a coffee, and then use his time. He was. In and did you know he was a coach, though? Uh, yeah, he told me he was a coach, hmm. and he would introduce. You know, he'd sort of use some of his skills um, on me, and and then through sheer happenstance, I was looking for a coach near me in Brighton, and I met a coach called Marianne Craig, who is a master coach and lives like three streets over from me, <laughs> and I was like. Well, that is very convenient, and um, I then started working with her. And how did you meet her? Just by chance, or you, yeah, you... it was as simple as like coaches in Brighton, um, and it was as simple as that. And what was the driver at that point for hiring or for, for working with Marianne? Yeah, I was trying to figure out what the next chapter of my career looked like. I was kind of um, I was traveling a lot with my job and one of the things that happened for me was um i was getting interested about exploring the influence i was having with how i was using my life force if that makes sense so um a lot of the international development programs that i was working on helping design engage with sometimes it felt like two steps forwards two steps back and because the environments that we're working in are so complicated it's really hard to sometimes ascertain like what was the impact of all the energy that you put into this work because politicians change, programs change, there's a natural disaster, there's an election. And so you can put in a ton of effort and not necessarily see the results of your labors. And I was struggling with that. And um, I was getting a lot of gratitude and enjoyment from supporting those I was mentoring and seeing how their careers were progressing and what was changing for them. And, and it was like, ah, oh, yeah, I can, if I bring my sort of circle of influence a little closer to me, I can touch the difference that I'm making. 
I couldn't really tell sometimes with some of the work I was in doing international development and I was getting a little frustrated with that and yet the work I was doing with coaching or mentoring at that point I was enabled I was really able to see the difference like almost immediately with people I was working with that um that gave me a real sense of not necessarily achievement but the fact that I was actually doing something positive in the world that could have a ripple effect elsewhere and that started really speaking to me I wanted to explore that further yeah, so interesting because it's I, I can really feel some of the resonance with me there, and I can tell the could tell that story, but I, you know I've told it before, and you know I'm sure people have heard it. But do you think that that's a how common do you think that is that there's generally a feeling in a big organization like Diffid and a big company that you just can't see the impact of the work you're having, and therefore people want to be able to do that. Is it just that you know because we've both ended up as self-employed coaches, right? Of course we would share that. Or do you think it's a bigger theme that's going on? So, Robbie, I just don't know the answer to it because time and time again, I see amazing people working in these organisations, creating enormous amounts of change. And I think there's a role for people to stay like enthusiastic and engaged and wanting to make a difference internationally or domestically in whatever space that they're operating in. And I think those individuals are really, really needed. And maybe aware, there's an awareness we need to have around what that, the journey of change looks like when you're working from within a larger organisation. And maybe there's a question around my maturity and whether I could see it. Or maybe there was a question for me around, um, maybe I could see it and at that point in my life, that wasn't quite what I was looking to do. I wanted, I wanted to start making some changes for me. Um, but, but I still think some of the individuals that work in DFID and other international organizations I work with manage, maybe manage those frustrations differently, or they, they have less of them because of their specific role enables them to see a more direct impact, but definitely complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And so you worked, did this work with, with, with this coach, Marianne, and it sounds like from that, this, you began to see you wanted to do, you wanted to have more of that theme of, of seeing your influence. How quickly did that lead then to another step or more steps towards coaching? Yeah. So I'd read it about coaching and then Marianne knew Phil Bolton, who was setting up the coaching coaching school, and I think he was in the process of like running his first cohort. And um, there were a few other ideas bubbling around in my head about what the next chapter might look like, um, which interestingly are uh, to some extent bubbling up in some of the areas I'm pursuing right now, which I might talk about later in this conversation. Um, but he was running a startup. I'd been involved in the startup space. I was used to startup methodology. And I was like, well, why not? Like, what's there to lose from giving this a go? And, um, and that was really the beginning of my coaching journey, having a first conversation. So I talked to Marianne about it. What's it like being a coach? Done some interviews in that space. And then uh, had a call with Phil and both his energy and what was going on and what he was planning to do with the course just really spoke to me. And it all came together at exactly the right time. Yeah. Yeah. So I spoke to Phil already as part of the podcast. Uh, great conversation. And it was interesting to talk to him a bit about the coaching school now. 
which mm. he said has been put to rest or is resting or something like that, right? Which I, I you know, I said to him on that interview, I think there's, it, I know why they've done that. And I understand as people why it's not the right thing for them to do right now. Mm. But I, I do think it's a bit of a shame because there was something, even though you definitely and me a little bit got the startup part of it, right? We got the first and second cohorts. There was something about that for me, that particular course that was exactly the right thing for me at the time the small scale of it, the practical mm. side of it. I, well, yeah, what were your experiences of that training? And, and I know you've done other training to develop yourself as a coach since then. What's, what's been your experience of learning the craft of coaching? What's been my experience of learning the craft of coaching? <laughs> um, I think this comes back to the remains a continuous journey for me and often it seems to be a stripping away versus a building up I think if I reflect on it now uh, there's a stripping away in terms of when you're being present in a coaching conversation there's stripping away like doing it right am I doing this right as a coach how can I just remain with the client starting to trust your intuition not always necessarily being totally overwrought or over overly worried about what's the ICF or EMCC saying about what, like, what perfect coaching is? Cause there's so much that you can get wrapped up in around all of that. And for me, the journey of being a coach, and I'm not sure I've articulated this before. There's a sort of learn, there's the learning phase about all of the tools that I got to do in a wonderful learning environment created by Phil and at the coaching school, a very intimate environment where I learned, you know, I had the opportunity to trust people and practice my skills a lot. There's learning this, the tools, learning about the frameworks, visualing and seeing what I thought were great coaches in the distance. And then there was certainly a phase of me like trying very hard to be a good coach. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying I'm completely out of that, but I'm much, I'm increasingly aware of that is not necessarily how you can be a good coach. In some ways that trying hard to be a good coach is where you need to, you need to try and move away from that. It's great. You want to have that, as an operating system in the background and you want to try and be you because each of us will have our own individual magic that we'll bring to a coaching conversation. And in some ways that the sort of purest coaching framework, which I do rely on a lot. I use in the background. It can almost strip away um, in my sense. It can strip away what you might bring as an individual to a coaching discussion. And there's, a balance to be found in that space. And I think as I'm maturing on my coaching journey, I'm appreciating to sort of trust my instincts a lot more, have worry less about, am I saying the right thing or am I not saying the right thing? Worry less about whether I'm going to keep the client or not keep the client if I say something, which was definitely not there for me at the beginning of my sort of coaching journey. And how I, you know, I, I really recognize what you're saying there. I think there's something really important in that. Um, my favorite, the favorite other way that I've heard it articulated was a guy called Jim Dethmer talking about, um, you know, the, the, that idea that we hear a lot in coaching about being a victim or a player in the game, essentially. And he, he pointed out, which I'd never really thought of, that when we're starting out as coaches, we often become a victim as a coach of our coaching training and our coaching models. And we're desperately trying to get to the O in the grow model or whatever it is, because that's where we think we should be. And there's all these stories going on. And that at times gets in the way of us doing the best coaching we can. But that's a really tricky thing to, to, to understand and to embody. You know, I've certainly found it that. 
And I'm sure anyone who's just finished their training who's listening to this is like, what do you mean? How does this work? Like, what even, what even is he talking about? Or are they talking about? So do you have a sense of what that journey from trying very, very hard to be a good coach to the kind of relaxation of that, that it sounds like you've been, uh, I was going to say working on, but even that doesn't sound quite right, right? Working on being relaxed isn't quite it, is it? But it's like, do you have a sense of how that has happened for you? So it's not working on, I suppose it's this growing awareness of what's, of how I can coach more powerfully. Do I have a sense of how that's happened to me? I think, There are a couple of factors at play. Some of them, and this is for me, are practical factors around um, appreciating and having an understanding. There's a sort of a baseline income I'm able to generate from my coaching. On average, if I look at it over the last five years, I've been able to earn X amount and it's always been able to keep the sort of ship afloat. And when you have a level of confidence around what you, you can bring in as a coach and that covers all of those essential needs, for me, it's enabled a level of relaxation into being more direct and honest with my clients. There was less concern about serving my clients. And I think I've been able to move into a space of powerfully coaching them more regularly because I'm not worried about their business. And in fact, that's really, I think, had an effect of enabling me to work more effectively with my coaches. So um, there's the practical element of understanding whether your business is working or you have sort of the financial background to not have clients. And that in itself, I think, also supported me being able to be to coach more confidently. And um, I think there's also just a realisation that I don't have to be like a sort of swan during my call so I think the more I was trying hard to be a coach there was an increased sense of serious activity under the water like a swan paddling away furiously and I think as I mature as a coach there's less frantic paddling underneath the water and I can kind of fit into that groove and I've just over time through practice become more confident with where that journey might go or that I will land my client in the right place. And so I have an increased confidence in serving my clients because I've done that journey enough times that, yeah. and, and had clients respond positively to the work that we've done together that starts making me appreciate that I do have the skills and maybe I can just relax into that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that I can feel that. It, it, I'm not sure if you said this. It sounded like you might have been saying, did you feel like you should be like a swan? Like you should be serene on the surface and then going going like frantically under the water? Or was that just how, how you found yourself being? I said, say should. So in the past, you would always try and present in a way that, or I would always try and present in a way that I'm a calm, confident coach. <laughs> and the truth of the matter was near the beginning of my journey, I was paddling away like a swan underneath. So in theory, the facades of my questions, hopefully were the right sorts of questions. And I was coming across reasonably in my coaching calls. What I feel like now is I can still put, I still can present that with my clients, 
and yet actually it's no longer a what's it like a dichotomy if that makes any sense actually i'm calmer inside and that represents how i am you know my calmness inside is more of a reflection also of how i am on the surface and, and do you think that you know you said that some of that is just a, a matter of essentially confidence and experience so you can you can genuinely trust that you'll ask the right questions because you've got you know hundreds thousands of hours of experience where people's lives have shifted mm. through the work that you've done with them and so that's part of it is there anything else that's been really important in enabling you to make that shift so that you can be the calm and present inside that you wanted to present on the outside or do you just think we have to go through that phase so for me, it's probably a combination of several things. There is no question hours do seem to count. Like there may be some individuals out there who are just absolutely natural coaches and are going to coach powerfully and have the confidence to do that from their first coaching session to their last. I do think that having gone round the block a few times with a few clients, had some great coaching relationships, had some bad ones, managed a few others does give you a level of, you know, getting those hours in does make quite a difference. So that's one thing. Coach, 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 coach. And in fact, Marianne Craig said to me when I started out on my, my journey, she said at the beginning, you just got to coach, 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 coach your aunt, coach your uncle, coach your dog, just coach. And so that's- Did you coach any dogs? No dogs, but I did coach my dad, my brother, my mum. Yeah. Like when I started, like I coached everyone I could possibly get my hands, um, hands on who were prepared to do it. My cousins, like literally anyone who was prepared to- um, work with me I wanted to practice those skills and that really helped um did you have any awkward uh ones where you, tr you offered to coach cousins and they just like ghosted you forever I had some things a bit like that <laughs> uh no I haven't I haven't <laughs> had those experiences Robbie I'm sorry like I haven't been ghosted by my cousins uh. No, but, none, uh, none of my cousins, I should say, for any cousins listening to this, I, none, of that, none of you have ghosted me. They'll be like, frantically, did, did Robbie send me a thing like five years ago and I didn't reply, it wasn't there. Uh, no, but, not being ghosted by my cousins. And in fact, um, the advice I got from, my, from Marianne like, was really wonderful because actually my entire coaching business and a story that I started building up, and I'll talk to this later maybe, was around... Actually, from my initial work, coaching as many people as possible at not very much money, I then started getting recommendations. And then some of those clients then started saying, actually, if they wanted to keep working with me, they'd pay me instead of five pounds an hour, which was to cover the coffee. They then suddenly said, actually, I'll pay you 25 pounds a session. I was like, oh my goodness, that's so much money. Like you're going to pay me 25 pounds of money. Like I have 25 pounds an hour. Like I've landed. and um, but it was really there, that sort of ripple effect of coaching as many people as I could at the very beginning of my journey, both gave me some confidence around my skills and I was able, able to practice them in a space where, because I wasn't charging very much at that time, I didn't feel so responsible. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt I was, I was honest about what was going for me on for me. I was, I felt able to play and people coming to work with me knew the situation they're working with someone who's starting out on their coaching journey. But, um, it all led to recommendations to work, either further work with those where they were starting to want to pay me more and then recommendations and like a network I can still fall back on and shout out to or they ask me how it's going with my coaching that I can still tap into from time to time. Yeah, like I definitely want to get to that in a minute, but I also mm. want to capture 
I we've we've got sidetracked in the middle of the of the question. What are the things that help you shift into that place where you're able to be more present yeah. and less like the swan? Coach, coach, coach is the first. Coach, one. coach, coach. Um, have a coach. Listen did, to your own did, recordings. How did that help? How did that help you? How did having a coach help me? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so. It's certainly. Um, got me to think through my own practice, got me to think through or supported my thinking around what does that practice look like and supported my inward journey around how I want to be in the engagements with my clients. So that helped me a lot. Um, But um, group supervision has also worked really well for me. That's made a big difference, listening to others coach regularly and um, being in a space where you can have trust and open, honest conversations with other coaches about your practice is uh, has proved to be particularly useful experience for me as well. Yeah, sorry, I'm slightly smirking. Coaches. I was hoping you were going to say like listening to like the greatest coaching I've ever heard in my group supervision, <laughs> <laughs> and that's because we did group supervision together with a with a great friend of ours. Uh, but sorry, well, and then what's the third? What's that? So so there's coach, coach, coach hire a coach and do supervision, listen to yourself. I don't know if that's two and three, but, but in there was do your own work and be in the presence of, basically be in the presence of other coaching so that you're learning more about yeah, it. Yeah, I think that like. makes a difference. Yeah. Is there anything yeah. else? So for me, I do like the ICF coaching framework and I find it particularly handy. I often find I drag out um, the framework when I'm listening to other recordings of coaching calls. And it's useful to have that bubbling around in the background. So it's, what is it, that sort of unconscious competence that we might try and aim for. And I feel like when I listening to listen to recordings, engage with other coaches, and I'm kind of make a decision to pick up that framework, it's a, it's a useful reminder and it sits there as a, underlying operating system which you can choose to respond to or ignore in your coaching engagements yeah i think that's really interesting there's some kind of distinction about um about best practice isn't there it's like to do great work you need to know the best practice because only by really knowing it can then you then decide when not to do it and when to do it something like that isn't there and i think there is a part of this which is just about the hours and moving through the conscious incompetence, conscious competence thing. Um, yeah. And I think that those things that you've described to help do that are really good ways of doing it. Like how do you get to the point where you can trust that what you do in the moment is right? Well, you can learn about what everyone else says, thinks and does in the moment, which is Mm. what you've just said, the ICF, which is a great framework. The, the, uh, coaches you've had, the supervision that, that you've done hmm. and it's okay to make mistakes because when you start listening to other coaches like that's what they spend all their time doing but <laughs> the best thing you can do is like forgive yourself when you make those mistakes learn that actually you're far from alone and just keep like trusting yourself and trying to be your best at every possible moment in that space and um being able to spend time with other coaches on that journey with you i think is really 
useful experience because as you talked about earlier you can start ben- not necessarily benchmarking yourself but realizing that your experience is one that's very normal and yeah. maybe you stop banging your head you know banging yourself over the head about am i the best possible coach i can be when you're hearing others in the same space as you or a similar space to you you're like oh yeah like they're having that problem or they didn't like reflect that back brilliantly or they didn't you know cr- you know ask a open question there or you know that could have been more succinct and you're like oh well actually those are some of the challenges i face regularly yet we're in a similar space we're playing in the same space we just try and have fewer and fewer of those as we go on our journey yeah yeah no i love that and yeah it's like they seem to have a successful business despite the fact that they were three quarters of the way through this call and we don't know what we're coaching about yet it's great it's, it's great um it's a great reminder um and i guess then well, actually, to, no, first, if I was going to go back to that, what we were talking about before, I want to get back to how you built your business, because I think you've already started talking about that. And that, that's really interesting. But just talking about the ICF, and, you know, we've had conversations about this before about accreditation, and that kind of certification side of things in coaching. And I'm just curious, you know, you're, what did you say, you're like five, five years in, five and a bit years in, the the coaching qualification we did didn't automatically give us that that coaching school on a uh, an ICF accreditation, although we can do it by following their portfolio path quite relatively straightforward way. I'm just curious, what do you think about that now, five or six years in, about accreditation, about the certifications you have, uh, the credibility they give, the, all those kind of things? Do you have thoughts on that? It's a good question. So... I initially got certification as a coach through Oxford Brooks University. So part of my coaching journey was actually being allowed to coach across the British Civil Service. Um, so after I'd finished my training with the coaching school, if I wanted to then like coach across the British Civil Service, I had to show that I met a minimum benchmark or exceeded a minimum benchmark. And so then spent some time um at Oxford Brooks and then had to go through like a process of certification as a performance coach. So that happened to me. And I think at the beginning of my journey, I started speaking to individuals around like how important is it to have certification and Uh, to other coaches or to clients or to like a range of people. So I spoke to coaches. um, And then I was also interested in like, what's it like and what's the scope of working with corporates. So I started speaking to a few individuals in who sort of work in HR and where am I going with this? I was told near the beginning, one of the experiences I had near the beginning is if you wanted to start coaching at large corporates with it, you know, going through the HR route and engaging that way and being on a bench of coaches, some of the individuals who work in HR organizations actually know quite a lot about coaching. And there is a, and they will know about ICF and they'll know about EMCC and actually having a certification behind you gives them a level of confidence around your credibility that if they're going to let you loose on some of their employees, they know they're dealing with a coach of a certain caliber. Now, that all said, on my day-to-day coaching interactions, um, and I'm not sure whether certification isn't necessarily the be-all and end-all. At the end of the day, you could be really certified have great certification and not as about saying potentially not be the greatest coach but but i think i've seen i've met coaches with um 
masters in coaching and listened to some of their coaching work and being quite surprised at how they were coaching. And yet I have also worked with someone who I think is one of the greatest coaches I've ever worked with. And she doesn't have a certificate, you know, she's never been on formal coach training. And yet now it has sort of co-developed and delivered some coaching, coaching training for other coaches. It's ICF certified. So I have a broad perspective on how useful it is. Um, that all said, um, I still want to go through the ICF certification process, but I'm not feeling like under a huge amount of pressure at the rate with which I do it. Yeah. What makes that important to you? In fact, it's um, something one of uh, my, my first coach, Marianne Craig, said to me. She was saying, um, she said when she got her first like formal certification through the ICF, there was a real sense of, um, gave a real sense of credibility and pride. Now, that's very much her journey, but I think that, has stuck with me in some ways, um, which makes me interested in getting a, you know, another certification and exploring what impact does that have on me or not. Um, because it may well be a very different experience. Um, mm, so interesting. But let's, let, I want to loop back to where we were before. Maybe it's from the Oxford Brooks uh oxford brooks right course yeah. that you did after you'd done the training at the coaching school it sounds like you know one of the things i loved about that was they were as soon as we'd done our first weekend and if it was the same in the year you did it they were like right now quick get some get some practice clients um and that you know i knew that that i would want to use the training somehow i didn't yet know i would want end up here but um that was really valuable for me. So what was that experience from the, in terms of how you, alongside the learning you were doing at the coaching school and then Oxford Brooks on how you developed coaching. And at first you did it in the civil service and then maybe a bit outside. And in the end now you work full time for yourself. Mm. So what was, what were the first stages in that journey? How did things develop as you found those five pound people or the free people and all that kind of thing? So yeah, there was sort of there was a twin track that was going on. There was a twi- twin track that was going on there. One through the coaching school, as you mentioned, after the first weekend, or you know, long weekend of coach training, go and find your first clients. And obviously, I freaked out because I was very concerned with the doing it right, um, trying to be a good coach and doing it exactly how I, I should have been doing it. And how did you deal with the freaking out? Yeah, whether that's the right term or not, I was. I, I think. I think. Phil said from the get-go, and this is where this is well just open and open being open and transparent is so important, is you're just straight with people about where you are in your journey. Right. And in fact, that just takes so much pressure off, you know, saying, look, I'm right at the beginning of my journey. I've had three days coach training. Part of it saying, let's go out and get some clients. Are you interested in going on that journey with me or having six conversations with me over the next six weeks? And what was amazing was that people would say yes. And, that, and who, so, who did you go to at that first bit? Who, like, was this the cousins and the and and brother? And yeah, dad? it was. It was certainly one cousin. No, I went to one cousin, and then I started using my uh, friendship group in Brighton, and uh, start. I really started there, just sort of put it out to a close group of friends, saying I'm doing this, and is anyone interested in doing it? And in part of my exploration around what my next chapter 
of my career was going to look like. I'd got very interested in startups, incubators, social enterprise. So in previous life, I'd run a social enterprise in Brighton. And um, I started going through, going to a few um, uh, what would you say? I don't know meetups or meetings that w- with social enterprises in Brighton. Met some really interesting people, and in conversation, it came out I was doing some coaching work, and people, were, oh, great! Well, I'd love to try to do some work with you. And then actually, I remember now uh, one of the things that led to a host of clients for me at the beginning was. Um, my brother had asked me, he was looking to meet uh, a woman at the point at this point in time, and he had heard that um, the choir, going to a choir was a great place to like meet women. And would I be interested <laughs> in being his wingman? And I had read at that point about like the health benefits of singing and like singing groups really good for you. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll come. And, um, and we went to this, soul, we joined this soul choir. And my brother, once we realized everyone sort of, the women sat on one side based on sort of the tone of their voice, what octave they were able to sing on. And the men's, you know, we sat, you know, we sat in a separate place, like the basses and the tenors all sat separately. My brother quit the choir very quickly and I stayed. And I remember being invited out uh, for some drinks after we'd done a, a concert of some sort. And my wife had come out too. And I was off chatting to a few people and she was out there telling the story to some of the women or other people she'd met there. Oh yeah, James, he's training as a coach. And I remember she walked away and I'd like got another three or four clients. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you were coaching. Like, I'm really, really interested in like doing some exploration around my career. I'd be really explore, you know, interested in doing some exploration around confidence. Um, you know, if you're up for doing that, that was great. So actually joining a choir and having this huge network of individuals who found out, not through me self-promoting, but actually by accident, um, turned out to be a great way into getting some, some like great test clients. And in fact, many of those, I worked with for a while and ended up giving me great references and introducing me to other people. And um, I still think of like hugely fondly wherever they are in the world now. (laughs) Yeah. I love that story for two reasons. One is I love that it was your wife that did the selling. It was like, you hadn't told any, I imagine you hadn't told anyone in this choir what you were doing and she's there for five minutes and she's like, by the way, you know, this guy's a like excellent coach and and there are the clients. But also I like it because, um, I think like I, I did some work with Rich Litvin and one of his, he likes to, to use dating and coaching as an analogy. When people are struggling, mm. what, what are you doing? What, do I, what am I supposed to do at this stage in the sales process? It's like, well, what would you do if you were on your first date? Would you propose marriage straight away? Probably not. So maybe just get to know them a bit and understand them. But also one of my favorite, as part of that group program that I did with Rich, one of my favorite bits of it was uh, someone wanted to get inspiration for how to connect with their ideal kind of client and we all and but what rich said was don't give her advice on that right give her dating advice that you've recently given to someone else or something like that and it was great because time after time around this group the advice that we gave which was like what should my friend do about the fact that that three guys in a row have turned out to be assholes well it's the same advice that work i'm not sure if that's right but the same advice basically worked for this person who wanted to connect with clients and one of them is well go places where you're interested to go and then people who are also interested to go there will also be there and a choir is a good example like who's at a choir well loads of interesting people yeah and really diverse groups and there's it's it's packed and there's a big sort of again it's this network suddenly this network in front of you of of 100 plus it was a large choir so 100 plus people would then go out for a drink and there was scope to engage with those 
Right. But you're just connecting with them. The, the other great thing is you're not there trying to, you know, quickly, subtly sell them into being coaching clients. You're just there connecting, singing, doing all that great stuff. And then it turns out down the line that three, four, five, six of them. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, I must say, I'd, as I said, I've never gone in with the intention of even trying to sell because that was not what I was doing. In fact, yeah. it was my other half that did. <laughs> so great. In fact, she, didn't. she just mentioned that was what I was doing. And suddenly people were like, oh, that would be interesting for me. Yeah. So that's very good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so then, so the, there's then this host of practice clients, and you're char- are you charging all of them five quid, or are you like, how does that work? And you're meeting them six times. How is that? How does how did you get from those people saying yes to something more to the next phase when they started paying twenty five or, or whatever that was? So my initial, because I was in, I was still learning to be a coach. I didn't want them to be out of pocket, and. Um, and so I was hoping that five pounds was to cover the cost of both of our coffees. We'd meet in a cafe and sort of coach there. And, and then you increasingly realize if this is going to be a possible serious venture. For yeah. Me, how, how much was that in your mind at the time that it might be a serious, what? that it might be a serious venture? Was that crossing yeah, your mind? I think it was pretty serious. I felt like that was a real option for me. Um, and I wanted to explore it reasonably seriously. And I was at that point, I think still working. I was at that point, or had already gone down to like part time in London. So I was working three days a week in London, spending some time. Um, I took like additional paternity leave when my second daughter was born. And um, that story is not being told brilliantly, but effectively, when my second daughter was born, it created this space and time for me to go on the journey to learn around co- the coaching process. And so I took, I think I had eight months off over that period where I was looking after my daughter, which was an amazing experience. And I used that time also to go on the coaching school um, with them at that time. And then after, after the additional paternity leave ended, um, I then asked to go back just um, three days a week. And, and so I had a, this, suddenly I'd created this space where I was had a stable income from working three days a week and I had some space to start coaching. And it was in that space I was able to start um, playing with charging more. And there was definitely a journey for me to go on about charging for my time and asking for money for myself, and um, which is really peculiar when you think back on it. But, you know, I, I was ecstatic when one of my clients said they were paying me £25 per session. And that felt like a load of money, which was is so. When I look back on it, it's fascinating. But it was definitely a journey I had to go on. There's that practice required around asking for money for your services, and in some ways, coming from a background where I got paid on a monthly basis for doing a job for, with an organisation, to asking for money with someone you're trying to build the personal connection with felt slightly unsavoury or felt inappropriate to me at that time. And there was certainly a journey about, again, practicing having those conversations. So in that coach, coach, coach journey, there's also something around getting used to and comfortable with asking for money. And that certainly happened over, over my journey. And certainly near the beginning of my journey, I had to come against, come up against that wall of asking for money for spending time with me, doing something I love. Um, uh, it was peculiar. I can hear that part of it again is just the practice, but it sounds like also those parts of it was, I don't know, seeing different perspectives on it so that it, it, it's no longer, I I've lost the word, but unsavory to ask for money or something like that. Mm. So what 
part of it was practice asking for money because if you want in the end to have a business that's going to have to happen yeah exactly but part of it was some other shift in perspective how did you work yeah, through that I think that's or what a really changed? good observation robbie like it's a shift in perspective where it comes from just being you asking for money to i run a coaching business and actually for you to engage with me as a coach it costs x and i think there's it's useful to sort of see there's like two separate parts to you i've never asked you for money to spend some time with me uh but actually if you want to engage with me as a coach then that's something we can explore and if we're going to do this properly then actually we need to talk talk how much this would cost and increasingly and maybe you've experienced this as well people need to have in my opinion people need to have skin in the game to really engage with the coaching process and i certainly know when i've had coaches and it's cost me a little more than i wanted to spend or i was comfortable spending i would ensure i squeezed as much juice out of that process as possible um and and as i've gone on my journey you realize you know people appreciate things that they do pay for um but i think that can be calibrated to in an ideal world robbie i would be able to almost like calibrate that exact point for that individual so i don't have a blanket price for working with clients this is my ideal scenario but you can somehow find the price that optimally motivates them to engage in the process Right, but doesn't overwhelm them because they're spending all their life savings on something. Exactly, and you're not in a space where you're trying to overwhelm them because that's not a space I'd want to ever like, push my clients into, and they need to take personal responsibility around it. But in an ideal world, if you're working with someone who, I don't know, works in a coffee shop and it's their first, you know, their first job and they're looking at how they're going to take their career somewhere, you don't want to break them. I don't want to break them. That's not so important, but I would love to work with someone like that. At the same time, if someone is the CEO of a hedge fund, you still want to make sure they've got skin in the game. And, and that's where, you know, it'd be great <laughs> if you could, I would love to be able to pitch the sort of cost of that perfect space. Yeah, it feels like either you need the AI algorithm, which <laughs> like lo- analyzes their bank accounts. Or one story I've heard, like I think that I've tried this a couple of times and it hasn't worked out. Yet. No one's ever bitten on it. So it's, it's never, never worked for me. But I know the, I've heard stories about coaches who really just let people choose exactly what they pay mm. from within a range, or maybe altogether. I think you've got to you've got to have the kind of presence and the sense to hold that, so that you're really giving people, like you say, that personal responsibility. Yeah, I've also heard of people finding out that their you know their pay what you can thing just didn't function because they found there was this you know client Y who earned loads of money never offered to pay more than the minimum amount, which means it wasn't doing what, it was what you're be. talking about, mm. the, the fees having the possibility to do. But it's really interesting that that thing about money and how we, yeah, how we shift through that. And I like that distinction of, okay, we can just hang out and have a coffee and that's fine. But if you want the full power of my coaching business behind you, then that's a different kind of operation. It's going to cost, we can talk about that. Mm. Because the truth of the matter, although it is you, in some ways it's not you. And what I mean by that, that sounds confusing. I don't know if you've had this experience, Robbie, where you work with a coach and you get a sense that you know them. But actually, I've, you know, subsequently you'll find out you know nothing about them. You've been in conversation and in dialogue with them for an extended period of time and they know you. But actually, it's not just a back and forth conversation often of sharing. You know, they're working and drawing out and taking you on the journey that you need to go on. And frequently, 
you just don't know them. So it's kind of a very different version of you. You're not meeting us. I was about to say not meeting us equals, but I don't mean that. You're, ha- you're holding a very different role and um, engaging professionally. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. And, and then so you started to get some recommendations. So the, the twin tracks, you started off on the, with the practice clients from the coaching school and the choir led to that growing. And in the end, to someone paying you £25 an hour. And at the same time, something's happening at work. Is that right? Yeah, at the same time something's happening at work, there was a, there was a cross-civil service internal coaches network where you could put your name up. And I'm sure it's still there, where you could put your name up, some of your experience, some of your training. And um, people would look through those profiles and you'd get the opportunity to like, work with those individuals. And... Um, what was wonderful, it depended, you know, you had to make sure you could afford the time where I was given the opportunity to spend probably at least two hours a week coaching externals on this, which is great because I'm being paid to coach here. And I was starting to coach um, some, uh, like, you know, people who are moving into more senior roles, heading up large teams who are coming to me to talk about the experience they were going through. Like how, could, how do they want to be? How do they want to be as a new sort of broader team leader? How do they want to design a team? What are some of the challenges they're facing? Moving from that space of doing everything themselves to letting go of the reins a little bit and trusting in others to deliver. And so it was an incredibly interesting opportunity for me to be able to learn in that way. And in fact, with other coaches who I've spoken to are looking to develop their coaching businesses or coaching practices, I do often explore with them if they're currently working in an organization. It's like, can you get some experience inside your organization now? Like, can you um, tell them you've got a certification or not, or tell them your co- training is to coach? And can you get a few hours a week, a few hours a month to start coaching across that organization? And um, it can be a great way to be able to at least put that name of the organization on your CV to say you coached this, in, you know, this organization or been a coach within this organization. And it gives you a scope to start exploring what are some of the topics that professionals bring to the, the table as a coach, you know, in the coaching table versus let's say someone going on a career journey. Yeah. And, and maybe it had an impact, you know, you were then being paid by the British government to coach some of their leaders. Maybe that has an impact on as well. Is this thing coaching valuable? Yeah. Like, well, you're being paid, literally you're being paid your civil service salary to do this. Yeah, exactly. And that certainly also gave me a sense of confidence. You know, it gave me, I'd been through, I had been through this like a certification process with Oxford Brooks. I had like passed that process. I was then allowed to sort of then advertise my services on the internal coaches network. And then I got clients and then repeat clients. And again, they started recommending me to other of their colleagues that they'd worked with saying that they'd worked with, they'd worked with me. And, and so again, and that recommendation, that's, not, that's not necessarily what happens for everyone. Like I don't know. But it's worth pointing out that you were getting recommendations from your practice clients and you were getting recommendations from the civil service people. So you must have been doing something useful. Mm. So I must have been doing something useful. And that's something I had to sort of remind myself of or be reminded of because I would often discount my own achievements like very readily. But um, why do you think that was? I think. It was the beginning of my coaching journey. I think I put less weight on the training that I had had 
than some of my other professional trainings. You know, I've done over five years studying economics and working in that space and building up a reputation of knowledge and a bank of awareness and, you know, a network across this space and across international organizations. And, you know, I, I, I felt like I had a sort of breadth and depth of knowledge that was of real value. And at the beginning of my coaching journey, you feel like, Oh, I've done like a nine month program. Um, and, I don't know much you know I, I still there was this there was this sense around well more studying is good and actually to be a really good coach I should have studied for a long time a certification is important but actually that's all a story that's all a story and what's a better story well I think this recommendation piece I got really wrapped up in and I was I got wrapped up in I'd worked with a coach so where can I start with this story really so on my coaching journey and watching some of the coaches I was working with, when we went out into the world to become coaches, I saw some coaches and I still see a lot of coaches write a lot, like post a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, spend hours on their websites, writing amazing copy and not always lead to results and clients. And lots of hours can be lost. And I'm not saying that always happens, but there was a, there was a, a story I had, an internal story I had about what was happening to their practice. And then um, another story came up for me was around actually the most successful coaches almost don't advertise and they operate from recommendation. And this story really resonated with me for a whole range of reasons and was a story that um, I really internalized and bought. And because my entire you know, to date, like most of my clients have come through recommendations. Still, most of my clients have come through recommendation. That was a story I was totally on board with. It also meant that my entire coaching practice started to grow in a quite peculiar but organic way, ripple effects of who you were working with. You'd end up working in different sectors on different topics with different people on completely on a complete range of things. But that story really... I really bought into it. And the reason why I'm saying it's a story is because I had a relatively recent realization in all of this about um, in April, May time, I was the busiest I'd ever been as a coach. Like I had over 24 plus private clients that I was seeing several times a month. And I felt like I was flying. I really felt like my coaching practice was flying and everything was taking off. And I was, and on a regular basis, like every month I'd get one or two new people who would like connect with me or phone up and explore whether I might be able to be a coach with them. And then at the end of May this year, like something happened. And I hope it's all right. I'm telling you this story because it feels relevant to this, this story around coaching, this journey I've been on here will be, but two things happened. One, and this starts delving into like complexity, complexity of us as a, a system and our bodies. And also like some of the stories I was telling to myself around what it was like, you know, how, how to be a successful coach and what was going on there. And the reason why I bring in this sort of systems in our body was a couple of things happened to me in May that I only started to piece together afterwards. Like I had a massive drop in my energy levels around May, June. Didn't really know what it was. Started feeling really lethargic, really was not feeling like I was engaging with my clients in an energetic way. I just couldn't really bring it to my sessions the way I always had. 
And I started like really wondering what was going on. Like, is this the end of my coaching journey as a coach? Have I like suddenly reached my threshold? I can't listen to people anymore. Like it's just totally doing my head in as maybe I'm just saturated with absorbing and not engaging. And it turns out there were a couple of things going on for me here. Um, because what happened was my client, my client list suddenly sort of felt like it fell off a cliff, both with my energy levels and my client list sort of fell off a lift, partly because I was coming to the end of journeys with some of them, but I wasn't, I wasn't operating the way I normally did. And one of the interesting things that came up for me on this, Robbie, was um, my diet. Like I'd gone vegetarian and been like vegetarian for like well over two and a half years, although being like not, you know, in and out of being vegetarian for a long time. And it turns out that I was, uh, part of this story is like I was, I'd got a zinc deficiency. It was massively affecting me and I'd kind of just been plowing through it and I'd not been taking, I'd not been taking enough care and effort over what I was eating. And it had this effect on my energy levels that I had no idea it was happening. And the second thing that had happened to me was I built up this story that to be, you know, successful coaches like work on recommendation. That's like how it happens. People will be dropping me a line every couple of months. You know, I'd be getting a couple of people dropping a line every month and I'd be building up my sort of client base like that. And I think for some coaches, it really does work like that. And it worked like that for me for a long time. But um, when I fell off this sort of, this sort of hit this sort of cliff edge in June, May, June time, people weren't calling me. I wasn't getting people phoning me up to explore where they want to work with me as a coach. Um, I wasn't getting any more recommendations. It felt like they weren't coming through. It threw up this whole story about whether I was a successful coach or not. So despite the fact I'd got four and a half years of like clients, consistent clients, earning a good income, you know, suddenly this cliff face loomed, clients dropped away. I'd lost my energy. I'd kind of wondered whether I was in the game and then no one was like engaging with me about whether they wanted to work with me anymore. So this whole story about how I was engaging in the coaching journey or the story I had about being a successful coach just didn't hold true anymore. And I certainly entered a, funk over sort of august sort of august time but in september i was in a real sort of funk over this whole process and um i have really come out the other side of it and i'm firing on all cylinders and this there's been this really this massive change for me part of that was around recognizing the story i had about being a successful coach part of it was getting my diet sorted as well that made a big difference to my energy levels um but but also part of it was noting this was a, an opportunity to start reinventing what my coaching practice looked like and how I wanted it to be. And as opposed to just having it be fully organic and people come to me, it was a realization that I can take control of it and start molding it and working it into areas that I was really passionate about. And I know I've spoken to you about this before, Robbie, about my interest in like doing much more collaborative work. So I was working alone a lot. You know, I was a coach engaging on issues and working primarily one-on-one with people. And I knew I could be more and do more if I was working with others. So this upswing has happened by me exploring how I can collaborate more actively with others and re-engaging with organizations I'm really passionate about and care about and working with groups that I really want to do. And from that space, like loads of amazing opportunities have just started blossoming again. And the reason why I want to share this with you now, and if anyone listens to this podcast, uh, or um, I'm sure they will, Robbie, um, because uh, you're on it, um, is that 
I think there's awareness and you need an awareness around what, what is your, what's your story about being a coach and being a successful coach and how does that operate? And then again, just to notice that you're, you're situating yourself in this story. And we both did this training with Jennifer Garvey Berger and she talks about the sort of five leadership mind traps. And I've found myself sitting in this simple story I had designed about being what, what is, what is it to be a coach? What is it to be a successful coach? And, um, Teasing that out has been wonderful. And it's also wonderful because you start having had the experience of situating yourself in a simple story, you can start then exploring those with your clients as well. Hmm. You know, and it's so nice to have gone on some of these journeys yourself as opposed to speaking from a textbook or learnings, but actually to have been on some of these journeys, like genuinely recognize them and being able to sort of recount stories. That has been a long story, Robbie. I it's hope great. It's great. So, I mean, just that last piece, I want to catch that insight, which is great, which is when you've done some learning, you can work on that stuff with clients, but it's different when you've, like, when you've seen the impact a simple story can have on yourself, yeah. I think what you're saying is it's then easier to see or easier to communicate or more powerful to communicate that to other people to help yeah. them see their own. And I think that's been really, that kind of thing has been really true for me. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, what I'm really curious about now, of course, is, so what's the more, so, and I love, I want to catch as well, that the, the story was a successful coach, something like the successful coach only needs to sit there and get referrals. And if you operate like that, you are, perfect and yeah, successful exactly. and if anything else happens you're a um, this is my this is what my story would be if it was me you are a miserable failure if you have yeah. to do all this other <laughs> stuff right and it's obviously it's silly when we it's say it like that but yeah, that's exactly. what goes on exactly so, Crazy. <laughs> so then what's your more complex what have you seen now what's the more complex story about what being successful as a coach is for you that that I'm really empowered to design the future of my like coaching practice. And in some ways that story I had was a very passive role around, like I would ask for recommendations, they'd come in or they'd somehow just come in through some magical process of people talking about me. And, um, and the more complex process is that I can really engage in my own agency in designing a practice that I want, or at least, start to play in the space of designing that practice that I want. And I've definitely started throwing a lot more against the wall and seeing what sticks. And I've certainly started exploring in much more depth, like multitudes of collaborations. And um, it's already starting to pay off. And I am feeling this upwell of excitement and energy and engagement that I'd not felt for months if i'm honest around where my coaching practice was going but it, it i had to come through the other side of this simple story to start noticing actually things are more complex and start exploring what's going to happen in this new space so i am like really re-energized with where my coaching journey is about to go and um it's so funny part of me a part of me saying, um, I wish I could have spoken to you two months ago because it would have been fascinating to have this conversation <laughs> in the middle of this trough, right? But but we're, you know, it's also really great to um kind of feel the energy you've got today. Mm. So what's what is going on now? What's coming next? And how have you engaged with this story about being able to, you know, use your agency? It sounds like one of them has been 
through collaboration. But what's, and obviously only whatever you can talk about now, you may be midway through developing things, all that kind of thing. But yeah, what's what's been really useful as you've started to engage the agency and what's coming up that's got you in this excited place or or what has got you in this excited place? It might not be something that's coming up. So I think I increasingly, what, so there are several things here, but I increasingly started kicking off conversations with people in organizations that I was truly excited by. And how and did you were, do that? This is like a great, a great example. So, how did you literally kick off the conversations? So thankfully for me, I'm still uh, interested in and engaged by like uh, international development, the international development world, and certainly elements of that. Um, so, uh, and the humanitarian world are things that I'm still interested in and passionate about. And um, so part of that was reaching out to my networks in that space. So I had some fairly deep networks in that space and knew some interesting people who had interesting roles in that world. So that was one in. I started reaching out, having conversations, looking for opportunities with um, supporting having conversations with them about what was going on in their world, understanding about what were some of the pain points that they were experiencing and some of their staff were experiencing and just um, co-creating or exploring whether they were interested in co-creating some solutions around that. Just all in the space of conversation versus trying to sell in my, in my wares, if that makes any sense. Um, so that was, that was part of that story. Another part of it was around, so again, looking at organizations that I really care about and wanted to do more work with. And um, we're in a really like the international and political scene at the moment is, is fascinating. It's complicated. We've talked about this uh, ourselves, Robbie, about how can we engage and demonstrate agency in this world? And again, I came across some other organizations doing amazing work in this space. Um, um, and there was there was um, there's an organisation called the Amidia Network set up by Pierre Amidia, um, who was the founder of eBay, and set up this foundation that was going to look at sort of open societies and governance and a whole range of different pieces of work around that. And there was a spin-off called Luminate, um, that was another really interesting organisation where they are they kind of fund investigative journalists to do work, organisations to that support investigative journalism to do work and expose the truth on certain issues and not get caught up with sort of um, false news or fake news, whatever you ever want to call it. And again, I was like, actually, these are the sorts of organizations I want to start channeling my energy towards and supporting them to be the best possible organization they can be or their staff to be the best organization they can be or some of their grantees to have the best possible access. And so I've started just kicking off like these conversations with these organizations and I don't know where all of this is going to land yet, but I've certainly I've started engaging and exploring opportunities and um, offering up um, possible solutions or things I've seen work elsewhere that um, that I think could work really well in this space. And um, this ties back to my co- part of my coaching story, Robbie, and I somehow have kind of skirted over the top of this because it was a really important part of my coaching journey. And I know you you know about this but I want to share it so uh, your listeners can hear is the other thing that happened to me quite near the beginning of my coaching journey was I met with and then started working with an organization called Career Shifters, which is um, an incredible group of coaches and individuals who work there and deliver these large online live coaching programs to take people on a career journey. 
Yeah, and they also have an amazing blog. Like when, so I wish I'd had a coach during my my career change journey into coaching. Mm. What I actually had was Natasha on Career Shifters articles, and some from the other people who I think there's you know the other people who write for that blog sometimes. Yeah, which are which are great, and I fully recommend this. This I still there's some that I set, still send to clients regularly today, years later, because there's so much great stuff on there. But sorry, carry yeah. on. And their material is fantastic, and I didn't know about Career Shifters. I'd not looked into them. And I was introduced to them. I was introduced to them through another channel, and I, I was invited up to a drinks they were having one evening, and I got chatting to Natasha. She was like, "Oh yeah, we coach. We do a lot of career change work. Are you interested in having a conversation about some of the work we're doing?" And I could tell from the, her energy and the energy of the organisation that they felt like my kind of people. They were sort of dynamic. They were young. It was startup. It was like really a whole range of different things that came together that got me really excited. And I started having a conversation with her about this. And then before I knew it, I was involved in running coaching webinars with Natasha directly. So I was co-coaching with Natasha. And then I started running these coaching webinars by myself with another co-coach. And give us a feel without um, spoiling the whole career shifters process. Give us a feel for on that call, a webinar, you and Natasha or you and somebody else, how many people are there? What kind of things are you doing? Because my understanding of this is it's, it's kind of, it sounds kind of intense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an intense eight-week process. Um, and the idea is you'll take, you'll take a group of individuals on a, a coaching journey to support them to find like the best, a really great space for them to launch their next phase of their career. Might not be fully launched, but it takes them to the space of really being clear about what they want to do next in their career and like how they can go about activating that and actualizing that experience. And one of their, and I learned so much from them. I learned like how to run webinars, which is another space I'm exploring right now. I um, was really pushed well outside my comfort zone and like exploring what it's like to sit outside your comfort zone. I was forced to what, like, what was it like? It was horrible. Like it's really horrible <laughs> to be outside your comfort zone, you know, yeah. gone from having nice, comfortable conversations one-on-one -on -one when you're coaching clients to like, if you made a mistake, it doesn't matter that much because you might see them next week and it's only one person to coaching live in front of a bank of coaches sitting in who are listening to the call as well. Who've been doing this for a long time and to an audience of participants of at the beginning, it was 30 but then like one of the largest courses we ran was like 120 participants. And I think they've even got bigger since then, you know, so suddenly your feelings, you feel so exposed, you know, you feel so like, am I coaching right? How's this going to go down? I mean, it was a hell of a learning journey and one I remain remarkably grateful for, but. And, and let me just, I want to get in a real practical question. So when you're coaching on that call, mm. like how are you coaching? You can't be coaching all, even all 30 people. So are you coaching just one or two? Is it, you well, know, that is how a does really that work? Interesting, that's a really interesting question. And, and their philosophy is one I now use with, or I'm you know, going to be using with some of the webinars I'm hoping to start running. And it comes to this, like you coach one to coach all. So the idea is effectively if 30 people have gone out and they've done a set of exercises or had a series of experiences, some of them are going to get stuck. And in fact, some of them are going to be stuck in a very similar space. And if, if, if some of the participants aren't stuck there right now, they might get stuck there the following week. And so what you do on the call is you're bringing in one of these participants to start having a conversation with you and unpick their experience with them, have this live coaching conversation with them where you're like exploring what's going on for them, 
why they got stuck how could they got out of that mess like what was going on internally like what are their opportunities to get out of it and you're continuously drawing the audience in to participate either through also asking them to give ideas but also asking them to listen because you know that many of them will have been stuck in that same space and so you're reminding them to listening into some of the learnings that you're pulling out from that with that client so it's a very clever process where you are coaching one person but you know it's resonating with swathe of individuals on that call yeah and they're all humans so at the very least they'll have you know that it it must be building their capacity to understand each other and understand themselves yeah and they're listening to an interesting story like they're listening to a live story where people are being vulnerable and facing challenges and um and yeah i think it makes it i make it makes really engaging listening but it's also a complex space to be operating in. Yeah, and we sort of glossed over it. You made a joke of it, but it, you said you're very grateful for the experience and that it was horrible. So, like, what? Looking back on it now, it's easy to do this. But for those for those of us, or for those people listening, or whenever we are next in that space of, holy shit, what what the hell am I doing here? How am I going to do this? Finding finding ourselves right outside of the comfort zone. What do you feel like that lesson taught you or, or that experience with Career Shift has taught you about being outside of the comfort zone? So there's certainly a lesson that, you know, your heart keeps pumping and you sort of just still exist in the world after that experience. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is it does expand what your comfort zone looks like. So you start often with our clients, we might edge, edge them outside of their comfort zones. Depends on the client, obviously you might look to expand their comfort zones, their range of possibilities or what they see as possible for them. But for me, and I suppose I was up for this journey, I was complicit in it, was like I was thrown in the deep end to some extent and I had to explore whether I could swim or not. And it turns out I could swim, but I still, you know, it took me like three years of delivering like webinars pretty regularly for it to be, easy for me to like go to sleep the night before I was running like a live coaching call with a range of participants on the call because it was intense and yet I was backed up with by like a loving team with great coaches having had like wonderful training and mentoring and um and and I had the history of knowing that they all goes well and you're co-coaching with someone else so you're never alone so if you drop the ball you can throw it to someone else and they can like your co-coach will pick it up but still there was this, like, can I still do it? Can I still coach in this way in front of so many people that came up for me, this, this massive douse or dose of self-doubt that I would have to sort of battle with <laughs> every Friday night for an extended period. Right, because yeah. it was there on Saturday mornings, these things. Yeah, there were people in jobs. Oh, that's, like, that's a work-life balance thing, isn't it? Having your Friday night turned into a weekly uh like you know we to be yeah, filled weekly definitely, by that energy of nerves it was, it, was def- it was definitely different but it was two months on two months off um but it was an incredible experience and so the other half the other part of my story for everyone who's listening it was around uh yeah i started coaching i you know i was coaching across the civil service i was trying to get recommendations and doing cheap coaching but i became an associate coach for career shifters and learn a huge amount from them it was such an opportunity and i'm still you know still on good terms with them we still engage regularly on a variety of different things but you know i I learned a lot about how do you take someone on a good career journey 
like their methodology is amazing. And actually, how can I incorporate that with some of my learning around what I think creates a good career transition journey with someone? And, and so not only was I able to impact and work with hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of individuals so over three years, I worked with, you know, I'd have to work it out, but I mean, we're talking probably over a thousand participants at any one time. So that's great in terms of like the impact I was able to have. Um, I've kind of lost the thread of where I was going with that, Robbie. But um, but, but no, well, I think you were about to do what, what I coach. yeah, what I probably should be doing. You were doing it for me, which is connect. There's a, there, I think there is a little bit of a gap that we haven't covered in how you got to where you are, which is leaving how you know and make it as detailed or not as feels important because you know the call will end you know not too far in the distance. So it's like what you were part time at the civil service. You had you were there three days a week, partly, and the other time you were partly learning coaching, partly parenting. All these things are going on. What was the point, or how did it come that in the end you left the civil service and launched out on your own? And what made that feel possible? And what's happened since? So it got to this point where, again, within the, I was working. Um, in the innovation team in Diffit, like we were looking at how we build like innovative practices into like development programs and innovation in the startup world is a space that I'm really interested in. And uh, I've worked with people in, you know, the startup world in the startup space and, um, and, and I use some of the startup methodology in actually my coaching practice with clients. Um, and I was really, and I loved my boss. I was working with a head of innovation in Diffid. Like we still get on and we speak well. So that was just great. I was doing interesting work with them. And my coaching practice was also feeling busy. In the sort of one and a half days, I was able to give it a week of the three. Plus I was doing the Saturday mornings regularly with career shifters. And it was getting to the point that I was neither loving both of the things I was doing at that point. And I knew something had to give. I either had to throw myself back on board with the innovation team and do more interesting work with them, or I had to take that leap of faith in that I could make this work as a coach. And sitting behind all of that was one, like the curiosity of, can I run something myself? I was so curious about that, having had a stable job with a nice income, with pension paid for, there was still always this burning curiosity about whether I could create something myself and not be in a sort of large part of a large organization. So that was always there. Like what would you know what that in instinct, that kind of thing was that was pulling you on towards that? So these are unformed thoughts. So I don't want to be quoted on this in the long term. <laughs> Start taking notes, everyone. I wonder whether I am slightly irreverent, if that's the right word, of like power and management and those above me. And to some extent, with large organizations, there are these like assessment processes that you go through. And I understand why they're in place, they are really important. But as an individual, so frequently, I was like, yeah, I, this isn't just not working for me. Like your views on how I'm performing to some extent is really irrelevant for me. Um, actually, 
what really makes me work is a, what, what makes me tick is about how I believe I'm performing as an individual. And, um, and I think being a sort of cog in a large machine where you're, you know, this process happens to you just didn't work for me particularly. So I, I think there was something for me around, can I do this totally for myself, be my own boss um, and not have to, you know, meet people always in this, in this sort of space of equality in this level playing field, which is how I feel I can engage with people more readily now. Mm. This needs more thought. Nice. Thanks for playing with unformed, um, unformed thoughts. And so you had this, this sense of, can I do this? I literally, yeah. can I do it? Oh, this is exciting. But, and you weren't enjoying either one quite enough. And what tipped the balance to, to get you to that point where it felt like it was the, it was the time to, to give coaching a go? There was um, several things like the stability. I had a stable income coming in from career shifters at that point as well. So, like income definitely played the uh, income definitely played um, a part in this. So, um, I was the main breadwinner of the family. I had like costs that I had to cover to make sure we could live where we lived, and children could have the experiences that they needed, and food was on the table. So, what happened was, I. I'd, I'd reached this baseline of income from my coaching practice through working with career shifters and had enough like one-on-one coaching clients. And I had a proof of concept that I could get more coaching clients and I was doing well on that journey that I felt that I could risk like shifting across from this space of stable, regular income into a space where it might have been less certain. You know, the income may have been a little less certain. And uh, I didn't find it easy. Like after I'd handed in my notice, I didn't really think about it, but I still remember the first day when I hadn't, I didn't go into the office. I don't remember the first day. I remember the night of the first day of no longer working for Diffid. And I just didn't sleep. Like, had I made the right call? Am I going to, is this going to succeed? Was this all a pipe dream? And I just didn't sleep that night. Mm. And Thankfully, from that night onwards, I have slept and actually it's turned out all right. But something around like, having faith in that journey and being prepared to give it a go was important. Yeah. And in a minute, I want to hear a bit more about what's coming up. But there's just this, I'm really curious, in that moment then, you've had the, you've had the night where you can't sleep. And, and obviously, some of it is just probably you getting used to the new mm. story, the new life. But you did then have a load of space and to fill, I guess. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, you got to a point in May this year where you had 24 one-on-one clients, which is, or, or so, which is, feels like a lot. Um, so what, do you remember just what the things you did were that expanded the, the list of clients you had, the work you were doing from a couple of mornings a week or something like that to, to gradually getting to that point? What, what were the most useful things that you did? That's a really interesting question Robbie and I'm gonna do this thing where I don't quite answer your question but I want to bring something else in if that's all right and then you can bring me back to this there was something for me that also happened at that point in my life that made me think about well I have this opportunity to design the life that I want so I'm no longer having to commute up and down to London how do I we often talk about these things as, a, as coaches like how do I start living the life that I want now not the life 
I project I want to live in like 40 years time. And a lot of that, a lot of what happened for me in this journey and some of this space got taken up by doing this was, you know, my wife, myself, like, we're like, well, why do we, you know, with two young kids, like often the weekends are taken up with children, the evenings are dealt with children. Like how much time are we spending together as a couple? Part of this was like, well, why don't we luxuriate in the idea of having like one day a week, or one day a fortnight we used to do, like as a date day. So let's go out and hang out as a couple during that date day. And part of what happened for me during that process of moving from working full time was how can I just start designing a life that works really well for me in the round? So it wasn't just about having a successful coaching practice, although that's part of the story. Part of it was how's me being a coach also supporting me to have a life that's really working for me. And I did find that balance. I still feel like I have a lot of that balance. Like with young kids, it's been an unbelievable opportunity to have flexibility in my diary regularly. Like tomorrow I'm going off on like a whole day trip to Amberley Castle with one of my youngest daughters. There's, you know, on a school trip and I've managed to sort of move my clients around that occurrence. Um, it meant I could start spending like at least one day a fortnight with like my wife, which has been like wonderful. So I'm not, like I'm not postponing all of these, these things. I feel like I'm, able to be present with my kids. I'm not too wrapped up with a lot of my work all of the time. So that's been part of what filled it. Part of what was filling it was like bringing back some of these important things back into my life, like being present with friends, narrowing down who are the key friends in my life and really investing in those relationships and not letting all of those things sit on the periphery of, I'm going to get round to this. So a lot of my coaching journey, I hope it doesn't sound to what to say, was around started to redesign what that, what living now means. Because if tomorrow doesn't come, am I happy with how I'm living right now? And um, increasingly the answer for me is like, I'm kind of ready. <laughs> this sounds awful, but like, I'm not ready to die. There's so much exciting stuff going on. But at the moment, I feel like I've reached this space where I'm super happy with like how I've structured my world and my life around that. So I wanted to share that story because I think for people going on this, on the coaching journey, like it can be useful to reflect on not just ramping up your coaching business and getting successful and being busy it's about actually what does this enable you what can this journey enable you to do in your life and and using that as an opportunity to design like well what does a happy and fulfilled life look like with coaching being an enabler for that in some ways and um and that was an important a really important piece for me, Robby. Yeah, look, for me, there's no way that, that several things don't happen for you when you do that. One is that exactly like you said about the simple stories, suddenly you're able to see that for other people as well. Uh, you know, if you go through those journeys yourself and you create something, you, it enables you to see things for other people. I'm sure it helps you if you ever tell any version of that story to a client, like anyone who's listening right now who hasn't already got a date day with their spouse, including me, is feeling jealous of you. Like in a nice, in a lovely way, it's just like, oh, that sounds amazing. How can I do that? Mm. Um, and I'm sure that it, that has an impact on your business. And also, let's not forget that you know, we're selling as coaches, we're selling our attention, we're selling our presence. And what helps us get into that place of having beautiful presence and beautiful attention? Well, part of it is having all the parts of our life, all the different uh, fuel tanks or or whatever you yeah. like to call them, full up or, or, or recharged. Yeah. And so maybe, I mean, only if it feels interesting, because it feels like that is a great answer to the question that I asked. 
But I guess that, you know, we know what coaches are like, They, especially when they're in this place where they don't have enough business. Do you have a sense of the advice you'd usually give to people or the things that one or two things that have made the most difference to you in creating the steady stream of clients? Maybe we've talked about it already that you just want to but, highlight. But this, but it's, it's interesting, Rob. It's interesting we're having this conversation now because, again, if we'd had this story, we'd had this conversation four months ago. The answer I would have said is get recommendations. Go how, out there, how, how would you said, how, how would you advise people to get recommendations? And from that is, for me, it was a lot with, you know, I'd, I'd started coaching for not very much, but then I was engaging that network. So previous clients were a great space to start with recommendations. Um, and, and then also it would be around actually who, are the, who else is in your network and having conversations with them about what you're doing now. And in fact, it, some of the best clients or most senior clients I ever had was I, and have, I engaged with initially and said, this is what I'm doing now. These are the sorts of clients I want who work in this space. Like who can you make some introductions to for me? And this may have been something I'd read in like the Prosperous Coach, which I think Rich Litvin talked about. And I haven't read it again and again, but there were some key pieces that sort of stuck for me from that. And actually, I remember the first time I had that conversation uh, and I was chatting, it was actually with someone I once knew from a previous life who was then a CEO of a new organization. He was like, well, the person you're describing is me. I want to work with you. And, and, and I want to catch this because like, I, think, I think there is a bit of a prosperous coach thing here, but it, I think it's interesting. It sounds like you weren't, were you going to him knowing he was kind of like that? Or were you just, was it him? Sorry, it might have been her going to them and saying that, or was it, you were just genuinely reaching out to your network, the people you kind of knew and asking the question. So yeah, I was genuinely, I was going out to my network to individuals who were doing things that I thought were interesting in a space that, and also that I thought had possibly a level of influence that might be able to support me on this journey, but also who would have had networks that they would be interested in sharing with me. And that proved to be a huge help. And there is still a lot of work, I think, around like using your networks, like power, exploring and developing new networks and um, making offers to those networks and exploring their networks too. And in fact, a lot of the work I do with my clients, certainly in the career space now, and this builds a lot on like the career shifters work, is like how do you really activate your network and engage both your network and what they call their network's network because it gives you access to a huge volume. What are the tips for that? How do you do that? Well, your network's your immediate net. Obviously, your network is your immediate network, Robbie. So, you know, there's um, social scientific research that says that, uh, like, everyone, most people have between 100 and 150 meaningful connections in their lives. And you could reach out and have a conversation with them. You could pick up the phone and speak to, let's say, one of 100 people doing a whole range of different things. But they, in turn, will have 100 to 150 meaningful connections in their lives. And um, it's around going out and asking for connections in spaces that you want to. Because, And this happens to me so regularly where you just don't realise who you're connected to. And you don't realise who other people are connected to that could potentially support you. And there is definitely power in the asking. And, um, you know, I, can I, I'll share a, a story. 
you know, I was chatting with an ex-client of mine and he was having a really tough time in his job. And he's like, James, I just want to go and work at this organization. that's the top of my road. I want to get out of where I am now. and I want to work in this organization. It's up my road. You know, I've no idea like how to get in. And, and why I'm telling you this story is because it turns out one of my close friends who I go like swimming with really regularly, his fiance like works in like the, the, one of the main departments in that organization. Now there is no way he could have possibly guessed whether he would, whether I would have known someone who works in that organization. It's through the most obscure link, but through that obscure link, I was able to connecting up, connecting up with someone in that organization. So I think we need to sort of dispel assumptions we may have about who our networks know and actually go out and start asking those questions. And that is a really powerful tool to start like openly engaging with your network and then asking them to support you find the right clients. Yeah. And there's one thing that's for sure. He, that definitely couldn't have happened unless he'd mentioned that organization to you. Like you would have never thought you would have never thought just as he wouldn't have to make that introduction until he names the organization. And then it, maybe it comes up and maybe it doesn't, but we know for sure that if he doesn't mention it, it definitely doesn't come up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's the great point. You've got to mention this stuff. You've got to go out and mention what you're looking for. And, and so then that was a little bit about before um, and then I just to kind of bring us home, maybe I'm wondering wh- what do you feel about creating clients now? And also if that does lead into it, which it might, I'm really curious. You mentioned webinars that are coming up, like it may be too nebulous for you to say, or you may not want to, but I'm curious what's coming up for you. Like, what are you, what's this stuff that's got you really excited that's on the horizon? So there's, um, a series so your first question, Robbie, was around like how am I how am I using? Uh, you, yeah, yeah, does so, that so story it, still hold? So yeah, you, well, you said is, it kind of doesn't, but it kind of does. It kind of does. It still holds, and I think it's really powerful. But I'm employing it in a more focused way, and I'm being. I think I'd moved into a space of not using that as, as an approach because I was just sitting back on. The, I've, I've done enough coaching now. The recommendations will come in, and that is what I started failing. And actually, I think I've just reignited my belief in that as a process to reach out and connect with individuals. And it's a tool I have definitely started um, using, like, again now, but in a more purposeful way. And, and in terms of, like, what's coming up that I'm excited about um, was, again, through, like, offering some, reaching out to individuals who are doing interesting work, like, um, I have just put up a, what I think is a really interesting offer that will pull in some different coaches to run some uh, webinars with like the UN volunteers. There's a huge network. There's like 7,000 a year who go through the UN volunteering process. And there's some services I think that I could powerfully bring to them um, through a webinar based coaching format. So um, I'm looking at how I can build that. And I've gone in and I've been, I've been able to create opportunities to have these conversations and they're now in a process of having a look at some of the pilots that I've made some recommendations around and I'm hoping that's going to lead to another conversation. So that's bubbling away. I've had a really interesting conversation. So my, my brother-in-law who runs an organization called Then Somehow does a lot of work around capacity building um, in pr- productivity and team effectiveness work. And 
part of me before had been like, no, I'm building 16 degrees coaching up. You know, this is really important that I want to build up my own coaching practice. I've not really looked at how I can collaborate more effectively with, with him. And I, and then I looked to bring Steve in on a piece of work I was trying to build with another organization that was really exciting. And he got involved with that and me bringing him in, then, then he started thinking about how he might be able to use and work alongside me with another piece. And that has led to a really interesting piece with like King's College London. We did a great piece with them. And that might now be opening up into a piece with like UCL where we are also going to explore delivering traditional traditional training programs and coaching programs, but also potentially through the use of webinars. So again, I'm seeing if I can use that skill that I was able to develop through career shifters and continue to develop in a way that, again, can serve some of my new interesting clients. I've had some other interesting conversations with someone who runs like a UN innovation lab in Finland about what are some of the wraparound support services that they could provide, um, whether there's an interesting vehicle we can do some of that work with. And so that conversation's ongoing. And then I've got this, um, and then I've been co-collaborating with someone who works in the humanitarian space, looking again about how can we can design like these new learning and coaching experiences for humanitarian workers and like deliver that in virtually. And again, there's a conversation coming up for me with, um, OCHA, which is like the UN's sort of main humanitarian body, um, where again I'm meeting with some individuals who, have, who could have an opportunity to pilot, you know, to commission a pilot. So there's been lots of creating going on for me at the moment, and already things have spun out from that. Like I've got conversations coming up with like the Social Tech Trust that deals with innovators looking to make innovations in like the social change space, and just loads of things have just started. So from the space of two months ago or six four weeks ago of, of being in this funk with no opportunities, like suddenly I'm in this space where things have turned around and are really blossoming for me and feeling like incredibly exciting in a space where I'm going to be collaborating more and working with organizations that I kind of really care about. So um, it's left me feeling excited. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can feel it. It's mm. great. It's great to see you with that energy. And, it, and is this right that it feels like the thing that turned that corner was getting out of that simple story, getting into some space where you can create things and then getting active. And these things yes, are still exactly, emerging, but exactly. they came from that. Yeah. And I mean, there was, so I read The Prosperous Coach, and maybe you've talked about it a lot in some of the other work that you've done, Robbie, but I read The Prosperous Coach book a long time ago. And one of the things that did stick with it was around, um, that stick with me is like, if you're working as a coach, like you need to work as a coach. So on the days that you're working as a coach, like if you're not speaking to a client, like how else are you serving your business? And that can either be through like, am I making connections? Am I putting forward proposals? Am I engaging versus yeah. Yeah. Go for a walk and do some enjoyable stuff. But like, I think finding that space to focus during those times that you're working is important. Um, and also the other part of the story, which is sounds ridiculous. I think getting my diet right made a big difference because you can be really unaware of like what else is going on in your body and you think it might be one issue. Like I've lost my mojo for coaching and actually it just turned out I needed zinc. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. am I remembering right? Like, didn't that just come, was that like a moment of inspiration from your mum or something? Is that right? <laughs> exactly. and that's the story. It's like, yeah. you need that stuff. And yeah, I don't think it's stupid at all. I think there are too many times when people think there's something, you know, I would on smaller scales as well. It's like, I was so angry about that meeting, but actually it's just, you know, I was hungry. 
Or yeah. I, I, don't, I hadn't had my coffee. Like I was made incredibly anxious by that experience I had. But really it was just, oh, I didn't, I didn't drink any coffee till 11 that day. And normally I drink it at nine and my body is freaking out because of that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's a small thing at all. I think it's a really important thing. Yeah, we are these complex systems working with others who are complex. And so like understanding all those dynamics in your coaching relationship just makes it a space where you can always feel like that you're at the beginning of your journey, Robbie. Yes. How's that? And that's, oh, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> and you've, you've completed the, completed the podcast. Ting, you can go on to the next level. Um, James, it is kind of time for us to bring this to an end. We need to go and refuel ourselves. It's lunchtime in, in England. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say or share before we bring the call to a close? No, just thanks for giving me this opportunity, Robbie. It's like a pleasure to like get the opportunity to think through these things with you and talk them through. Um, and yeah, I, I hope for anyone who's been listening to this, that some of these, uh, stories that I've been telling about my journey, like are useful for you and obviously reach out to Robbie about this. But if you feel like a conversation with me would help too, like I'm saying, like I'm available, give me a shout and I'm more than happy to like have a conversation with you. Beautiful offer. And yeah, there's been loads of stuff in here that I'm sure will have been useful to many, many people who might be listening. Um, yeah, I'll put a link to you and to all the other stuff that we've talked about on the website and uh, wherever people are listening or watching or whatever. Um, but yeah, look, James, thanks so much. It's, like I say, I, I kind of do wish we could have done a part one uh, two months ago and part two now just to kind of feel the difference. But it is like, it's exciting to feel the energy you've got at the moment. And I'm, I'm excited to hear what's going to happen over the next you know, two, two, three, four, six, twelve. Mm. I don't know, forty-eight months. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> James, thanks so much. Until next time. Cheers. Bye.